Hey, what's up, guys? This is Dion Brown, and you are listening to Man Versus Brand. And listen, I want to talk to you guys about a phenomenon that we are very much in the culture of. I think we may be moving past it, but it's been prevalent in our minds, in our hearts, uh, for no good reason, I think. We oftentimes believe that there are these benchmarks by which we need to be successful. When we're young, we plan out what we're gonna have done by 18, by 21, by 25, and God damn it, by 30, we are old, we are married, we can never hit the club again. I remember those days. I remember having conversations where 40 was retirement. You know, just pack your bags, it's time to go. You're literally one foot in the grave. And it's interesting, right? As as culture has become more widely shared, as stories have been told more specific to the individual, as health has improved and quality of life has improved for a lot of sectors. There's still a lot of uh, demographics, a lot of sections of our uh, people that still need healthcare and still need help. But listen, we're not gonna talk about that today. We're gonna talk about the mass majority. A lot of us are living longer, we're living better. And due to plastic surgery, we're looking much, much better. So with that said, it's, it's wide open season for when you can become successful, when you can enter your second and third acts, when you can finally become financially the person that you always wanted to be. Long gone are the days where we needed to find ourselves creating Facebook in our dormitory with three of our geeky friends and making a billion dollars within five years. Folks right now are investing in property, investing in NFTs, playing the stock market, moving into careers where they have the leverage to get the salaries that they deserve with bonuses that equate to what they bring to that business. A lot of it, I think, has to do with COVID and us realigning what's valuable to us. We have reprioritized what's important. We have found ourselves back at our 18-year-old selves and starting to dismantle all of the benchmarks that we created. Or we just got bored at home listening to our kids not be able to do homework and figured, hey, I'm going to start that candle business all over again because, listen, I don't got anything better to do. I don't know what it is, but I want to have a conversation with someone who can dissect what it is to uh, move into your third act. Someone who can speak to what it looks like when you're a man and or woman who wants to become an entrepreneur. You're probably over 30. Man, you're probably over 40. Listen, you're maybe over 50. And that's okay. We know that you can leverage things like your retirement funds in order to pay for a better life. We've had that conversation with a financial advisor. We know that there are opportunities for you to get private funding, for you to raise capital. There's no reason why you can't start that business. So if you wanna learn more about what it's gonna be like to be in your adult bag, earning money, then this is gonna be the podcast that you're gonna listen to right now. We're gonna start this episode in five, four, Three, two, one. Still trying to figure out the keys to life? Well, according to the locks, it's money, power, and respect. Learn to gain or grow these three concepts with Dion Brown and his podcast. 
With 20 years of expertise in guiding and coaching businesses and brands at the highest level, Dion is having the conversations that can lead to your big breakthrough. Welcome, and let's begin. All right, guys, I have with me Lakita Monley, and she's going to talk to us about not only what it is to be an adult and start a business, but to be a grown adult and start a business. Lakita, how you doing? Say hello to the audience. Well, hello, everyone. I am doing great, and I'm excited to be here today. That is awesome. That is awesome. All right, so tell me a little bit about your story. Like, how um, how did you get to the place where you are today, where you're coaching, advising, supporting um, entrepreneurs, and just the general demographic about how to be more financially savvy, but also how to start businesses? A lot of failure, Dion. A lot of failure. <laughs> A lot of failure. Um, I would definitely say uh, my story um, isn't one that was a straight line. It had a lot of curves in it, a lot of hills, a lot of valleys, and it didn't start out the way that I wanted it to start out. I come, uh, growing up in high school, I had a plan. And let's just say the trajectory of my life did not follow that plan. I think that there are very few people at that age whose life follow that follows that plan. And we tend to find that as adults, they're unhappy about the fact that there was no differentiation in their life. There was no deviation from their strategy. So you either have this idea when you're young and go through the failure of not getting it or get it when you're young and then have a drug habit and be a former Disney child. I don't know, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just yeah, saying. Well, <laughs> with that right there, I'm glad I, I'm a former. Exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, I was, I, I grew up in small town Mississippi. Uh, my hometown is called Macomb, Mississippi. Um, if you've been there, you know it. If you haven't, you probably never heard of it before today. Look okay. it up. Okay. You okay. may or may not find information about it on Google. It's small okay. town. Okay. I like a small <laughs> town. Like yeah, I mean, Usually good food comes out of a small town. Real good food comes out of small towns. Let me tell you that. Let me tell you. That's and good community. Good yes. community, right? Good like community. good family, good community, good yeah. food, all that good stuff. All that good stuff. And, and, you know, growing up in it, I didn't appreciate it as a child growing up or a young adult, you know, growing up. I didn't appreciate the family, the community. Um, you know, to, to be fair, because of the strength of the family connection, the strength of the community connection um, that we had in our small town, I was in high school before I realized we were poor, you know, because there was never lack. Uh, absolutely. I, I, yeah. I told this story um, maybe a few episodes ago. I'm not sure if it released yet, but I was, I was talking to someone about the fact that I didn't really understand what poverty was or what inequality was, specifically inequality was, mm -hmm. until I became older and then I started getting out into the world. But like in the confounds of, I grew up in East New York, in Brooklyn, in New York City. And yeah, it's a big city, but you know, there are pockets that still just weren't quite gentrified that just, we were the bodega owner, the Dominican tailor, the Chinese restaurant owner, 
um, the number hole guy, the arcade owner, all, we all <laughs> yeah. kind of, that, that was the neighborhood, right? That right, was your city right. councilman. That was your, um, can I get a dollar, mister? That was your, you know, mow my lawn person, watch my car guy. So we right. all just sort of grew up in that space. And so I think like you, maybe a different city, different setting. Um, but I think um, when, when you're in community, uh, you find that you don't really realize what others have and what you don't because so many resources are shared, so much yep. experience is shared. And um, with that said, there is also the choke of, you know, I want to get out in the world because mm -hmm. I know I know what this looks like. I want to know what else, everything else what looks else? like until you realize yeah. that everything else is problematic, right? <laughs> so absolutely. continue with this story. Continue with yeah, this story. Yeah, absolutely. It. I mean, it, it, like you said, you know, Growing up in my small town, um, you know, within my section of the city that I grew up in, it was not uncommon. Like, you know, the 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 dry cleaners was owned by the nobles family. They still own it. You're like family businesses were generational, right? You know, you wanted to go down to the credit union. You know, the credit union was owned by another family. You go to the laundromat, so on and so forth. You know, the, the local corner stores or markets were owned by specific families. And if some, if my parents sent me somewhere with a list, they didn't have to send me with money. Yeah. yeah. They sent me with the list and the list was fulfilled. Now, however, they squared up the bill later was between the adults. But, you know, as kids growing up and even as teenagers, you don't think about that. Even... I would even say going into the quote white side of town to yeah. go do, you know, clothes shopping, shoe shopping, the bigger shopping for school supplies and, and school clothes and things of that nature. When I got to be a big teenager and I no longer wanted my mom to pick my clothes out or my grandmother to pick my clothes out because we still are small town America. Yeah. Our family would have had accounts at these places for generations. So when I came in and I needed to get shoes or clothes or whatever, I picked up the purchase. The dollar amount that I could spend had already been sorted. They knew I was coming. Yeah. All I had to do was come get it, take my bags, and make sure I was home on time. And how my parents sorted out the bill was how they sorted out the bill. So, like I said, coming into high school is when I really figure it out. Like, when you really go to looking at the differences and who has what and things of that nature. Oh, wait a minute. We're yeah. kind of poor, but... yeah. And I never missed a meal in my life, you know, yeah. all of these things you, that you, you don't really realize until you, until you've grown up, until you've left home, until you've experienced something different. And now um, at, with all of the success that we've had as adults, I would say that if I could do anything differently, I would want my children to have been able to raise my children in, a, in a, an environment that fostered community in that way, because that to me is a significant piece that's missing within American culture today. But we could talk about that on another podcast, like, well, you know. Well, yeah, so so it's funny, right? Um, and I've seen this now with, with my friends and with my family and even with myself, right? Like you, you start out in one place and you do everything that it takes to get yourself somewhere else mm -hmm. only to want to go back to that place so that everyone 
that you're raising has the same experience because you realize as an adult how how important that experience was, right? Yes. And so you have these people that li- leave big cities and go to suburbs and then wish their kids were city savvy like they were, or you start out in, in a rural area and you move to a city and then you're like, man, I wish I could get that city living back. And si- especially my folks that, that come from islands, right? They're like, mm-hmm. you know, they come, they, they're, they're, in, they're in New York, they're in LA, they're in Miami. And they're like, man, I wish I could go back to Trinidad and raise my kids there. So they would know what it is to pick fruit from the tree. And I'm like, I'm like, that's cool. Right. But then to your point earlier, there's a, a, there's some moments in your life where you don't know what it costs Mm -hmm. until you do. Until you do. Until you do. (laughs) And and, and then when you do, life starts to change a little bit. Right. Because, because, because. Now you're looking at the shoe and thinking, do I really need this shoe? Do I need this shoe right now? Do I need this shoe later to your shoe example, right? Um, and and the person is just like, how are you gonna pay for that? Yep. We, you know, like, so 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 you, you got into high school, you realized that there were differences, you then become um, a young adult woman and you're moving in the world. Mm-hmm. And where did you land uh, in terms of moving from Macomb, Macomb? Yep. Okay. Moving yep. from Macomb, where did you end up land landing as a young adult woman? Like what, what next city or place became the next part of your life? So there was a little bit, a few things that happened in high school after okay. I had that realization. There was a few okay. things that happened that sure. played a major role in me ending up in Killeen, Texas. So that would be the next place that I moved to. Okay. Um, because my husband was with, join the army and Colleen would be his first duty station. But um, coming into high school, I met my husband, uh, his family had moved from, from New Orleans and which is how we met. So I met him, I was a freshman, he was a senior. Um, we fell into a lot of love or we thought it was love. It was a lot of lust, but- that's And crawfish, lust and crawfish. Crawfish, yes, <laughs> every day I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> lust and crawfish a lust and that's crawfish a, that's we a had combination a mutual, right there that's right we, we had a mutual respect for good food right exactly good food and basketball <laughs> okay okay that's that's a combo that's a yeah, combo. Good, good food and basketball and and uh, let's just say in the midst of all of that developing relationship we ended up becoming teenage parents okay so um it coming into my junior year um i was pregnant by that time, my husband had already graduated and I had some choices to make once we found out I was pregnant. Was I going to keep the baby? Was I going to give the baby up for adoption? Uh, was I going to have an abortion? Those were the options that were on the table. And I'm very thankful to God for the families that we came from because they supported whatever decision. Of course, everybody had an opinion because, you know, humans have opinions. Sure. Everybody had an opinion as to what would be the best route for us to take. But at the end of the day, the decision was between myself and my husband, boyfriend at the time, husband now. Um, and in our conversation- He better have married you. He had better have, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding, husband. Don't shoot me. If you're a sniper, don't shoot me, please. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you, know, you know, funny enough, getting married was his idea. It wasn't even my idea. You know, because that came up, that conversation came up. Yeah. And I'm thinking, and and I said it out loud. It's like, I don't want to marry you because at that time I didn't want to marry him. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. We did what we did, and I was okay with that. However, you know, I was not fully okay with all of the adult consequences that came with my adult decision. Of course. And I'm trying to process this. And I would, so my sister-in-law at the time offered to adopt our son so that we can continue on and, you know, go continue through university and all of the plans that we had. Yep. I didn't want to do that. You know, it sounded great. I really appreciated her for the offer. However, you know, just something on the inside of me said, you know, it's, you did this and now you're responsible. Don't know how I'm going to do it, but the decision um, I finally came to because initially I thought, okay, let me just have, I'll have this an abortion and because I'm not ready for this in my life, which is a truth. Mm-hmm. I was in high school. I wasn't ready for this in my life. Um, but as I thought on it more, um, again, that sense of responsibility, which is mine, right? Yep. That sense of responsibility that it wasn't a mistake mistake because you know then I thought about it as a mistake initially but the more I thought about it there was no mistake I we intentionally had sex it was intentional that it wasn't uh protected sex like we knew fully well what we were doing when we did it we just did it anyway Yeah. yeah um as most young people do you don't think through all of the consequences so here I am and I made the decision yes um I'm going to keep my child I don't know I don't know but I'm going to keep my child. All of the other stuff I did not know. Um, and that's why I said I'm very grateful to God for our families because once that decision was made, uh, they came together to help to support us as much as possible as we went through that decision. Because of course, as I said, my husband wanted to get married. I did not want to be married in high school. I didn't want to be a mom in high school, much less a mom and a wife in high school. Now, I, now I just want to point out that MTV has uh, multiple seasons of exactly what you experienced where people are making a ton of money by being like, I married in high school. I'm having a baby in high school, right? It's so interesting how different culture becomes, right? Mm-hmm. Where like these these occurrences start to, um, start to influence, like kind of to the opening of this episode, right? Where we start to think like, I should be a millionaire at 20. I should have my first baby at 16, right? You have these, uh, the media and, and culture is, is pouring out all of these ideas as to what one should be. So I think it's so awesome that you had the opportunity to make this decision in a space where the decision, regardless of the opinions around you, was really ultimately up to you, right? It's your body, your agency, your future. So Mm -hmm. you get to figure out kind of what that thing looks like, even if you don't really know what that thing looks like, right? (laughs) Right. Because the honest of it all is I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. You know, my husband and I, we had absolutely positively no idea what that looked like. Did the older generation around us, our parents, you know, our siblings, our cousins, aunts, did they know? They had a much better idea. And of course, people freely share opinions, right? They had they had a much better idea as to what we could expect moving forward. Um, I think that what sets my story apart from some stories, not every story, because every teenage pregnancy story from the 90s didn't end in ruin and lack. There was a lot of, there's a lot of stories that just don't get the media time, like on MTV, to tell you, okay, that happened and this is how we thrive through it. Sure. With, um, With ours, 
they were very truthful, very upfront, but we did, the, the major responsibility was left to us. Did they help us shoulder some of that? Absolutely. Did we like the way they did it? Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't. Yeah. We did not like the way that they support it. Well, well that's but, accountability, right? Like accountability yes. also necessitates some level of, of ownership. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the way that a person expresses ownership to another person will differ, right? It's yes. just different, right? And so <laughs> one person will be like, that's yours. I don't know what to do with it. Another person will be like, listen, here are the boundaries that I'm setting around that, right? Yeah. Like, and some some people are just like, you know, I'll help you in every other way but that. That's yes. your thing, not your my thing. thing. Yes. Like you take care of that. But if you need help in any of these other sectors, I'm here to support you. So um, Absolutely. And, and it's funny, right? Like now we, 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 we describe that uh, Lakita as like love language, right? Between mm-hmm. people, between, right? Like now we understand that not everyone expresses love the same and not everyone interprets how they are being loved the same. At the and same. S- the same, right? And so, yes. you know, your mom could have been completely expressing love, but you, it may have not been the way or your dad or whoever, right? Like, might be expressing their best form of love, but mm-hmm. if the language wasn't intersecting and, and and connecting and aligning in the way that you needed in that moment, then that thing might have not- You didn't receive it like that. Yeah, you didn't receive yeah. it like that. You received it yeah. as like something harder and something, yes. you know, whatever. And, it, and it's funny that you say that because that's absolutely one of the uh, things that happened between my husband and my father-in-law. So my father-in-law would be what you would call a hard man. Mm -hmm. Um, He was very no-nonsense, very, very no-nonsense to the point. Um, But he would be definitely what we would call an alpha male today, the provider, the proverbial provider, protector type of guy, right? (laughs) So when my husband, um, when he found out that, uh, my father-in-law found out I was pregnant, he didn't give my dad enough space to be angry. Like yeah. my, my dad's a gentle giant. My father-in-law was an aggressive giant. Yeah. Um, and so he had a lot to say to my husband and he gave him a list of expectations, like from here to the moon of how he was going to have to step up and what he was going to have to do. And, and, but the way he went about doing it seemed so mean. It was like, he didn't give my husband a break is what it seemed like. I felt sorry for my husband. Like my, yeah, he was my boyfriend at the time. I used to feel sorry for him. Like your dad is crazy. Um, but when we were having, after we had our second child, our second son, my husband had an epiphany in that moment. By that time, my, my father-in-law was a, a lot older and his health was declining. And he, we were, driving home to visit and he just had this epiphany one day and he was like wow you know looking at the way he was leading our family raising the kid raising the boys and um being his own provider protector for our monthly household mm-hmm. it dawned on him and on that drive exactly how he was mimicking unconsciously the things that his dad he saw his dad do or things that he didn't think he was paying attention to. Like you think you're tuning them out when you're really not tuning them out and how that actually those lessons that my father-in-law was teaching him, he just started to get them. Yeah. Yeah. He just started to get them in that moment, but coming with us coming through high school and granted at that time, 
that when he and I were having this conversation, we were still very young ourselves, yeah. but we had a family at that point, right? Uh, this conversation is happening like in 1998. It was, we're having this conversation. Um, and in that moment, he was able to understand, like you said, my father-in-law's love language. And my father-in-law was doing the best he could in the way that he knew how to prepare my husband to be a father and a husband, a protector, a provider, you know, preparing him to be the man that he needed to be in order to fill the shoes that he had inadvertently made for himself. Now, okay. So we're 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 sort of at the halfway point okay. of, of, of the episode. And I think that this has been an awesome unintended conversation about accountability. Because I think so much of what we will what we will become in our later years will be determined by what our foundation is and how much of that foundation we move forward with, how much of that foundation we deem to be problematic and toxic and need therapy mm -hmm. for, and how mm -hmm. much of that 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 foundation we 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 um, continue to keep or we pivot away from. So, mm -hmm. absolutely, I agree. So I, I grew up in a house that like the, my, my grandfather was um, very financially, um, he's very financially savvy, um, uh, but he wasn't traditionally educated. Like he had no traditional education, but he was financially savvy. My grandmother um, taught me everything it was to wake up in the morning and go to work and make work friends and the importance of establishing work culture and moving up in the world. My grandfather um, worked every day, probably 15 hours a day, but he did everything but go and clock into a job, right? And, and so, so much of my understanding of entrepreneurship wasn't based on, as a child, wasn't based on looking at the Tim Dells of the world. It was looking at my grandfather and looking at my grandmother and saying, both yeah. seem, both seem, um, both seem great. Both are plausible. Mm -hmm. Both are providing a life. Mm -hmm. Now, as a 40 something year old guy, I realize that uh, some of the things that I learned were great. Some of the things, not so much. Yeah. Right. Not so much. And so, so to, to, to get us, cause I, I want to finish your story, but I also want to get us to the point where you're in your adult grown woman self and you are helping people, um, to understand, uh, how to invest in real estate, how to, diversify their income and then how that worked out for you. So let's do a, let's do a, you had your second child, move me into your young adulthood, move me into your, I don't know. I'm going to say based on this, you look like you're in your mid twenties. Don't shoot me sniper. Don't shoot me sniper. Um, you're in your mid twenties, but, but we, we know from the basis of this episode that you are definitely in your uh, womanhood. So move us through some of those time frames that, that got you to the point where you're like, man, not only do I need to be financially independent and financially, um, 
healthy in my family and in my own life, but I'm, I'm actually at a point where I want to coach and teach that to others. So as, so we, we, we moved through, right. You know, we've gone past teenage pregnancy. Um, we're young and we're married here and we, we're having a lot of babies. Um, as of this conversation today, right. I'm real close to 50 and I've got five adult kids and six grandkids. So, you know, a lot of life lessons there, but we were, um, had found out that we were pregnant with baby number five. Okay. And stuff. Had how old were you? How old were you at that moment? At that point I was uh, 25. Okay. Yeah. At that point I was 25. So, uh, we found out we was pregnant with baby number five. Finances were everything but together. Okay. Like, we didn't have the pot or the window. Okay. It was a struggle. So we we needed to find something. And um, at this point, it was the early 2000s, as a matter of fact. And we were introduced to real estate. Okay. Inadvertently. Um, we were living at the time. We had just uh, moved to Washington State. And my grandmother had a cousin that lived in Seattle and where we were living in Washington state was in Tacoma. We were stationed at Fort Lewis. And she kept bugging me um, because old people are all about, you need to know your family. And you're in this new place, you know, your family because you're too far from home. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, he, her cousin, he, oh, I didn't want to meet him. <laughs> like, I'm a, But I'm a good girl. So we finally agreed. My Ben was like, come on, we need to meet this guy. So that your grandma can feel good. Mm -hmm. Best decision we ever made unintentionally. Absolutely. Uh, because when we went to his home in Seattle, he wanted to show us around Seattle. And, you know, older people tend to ask you questions. And when you're given the answers, you don't realize, you know, they're trying to help you out. Yeah. And in those questions, he realized we didn't have the power of the window. Yeah. So he, took us one of the first places, areas in the city he took us to, he was going around and he was um, showing us the neighborhood shops and whatnot. What we didn't realize until later was everywhere he took us on these two city blocks, and you're from a city, so you know how big a city block is. Mm -hmm. He owned it, both sides of the street. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, wait, what? How did you do that? You were from Mississippi. Your age at that time, you were, and I knew from his story, he had been run out of town literally on the rail due to racism um, and told not to come back or they would, would find him as, you know, some low-hanging fruit. Yeah. So. And, and, and to the audience, that's, that doesn't mean accessible. That does not mean easily accessible. That is not low-hanging fruit in this, this standpoint. We're talking about hanging uh, uh, advisory to those if you're triggered by that, but just pop. But by the way, because there's some millennials that's like, that's like low hanging fruit. It's like, no, 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 that's not what that means. It's just yeah. to give you all some clarity. Let's just say strange fruit. Let me, let yeah, me change strange fruit. Exactly. Fruit. Strange fruit. Yeah. No, but I'm strange saying, like, fruit. let me, let me <laughs> let y'all, but it's still, it's I, the, 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 the visual of what you're describing still remains the same, right? Yeah. Which is this thing that is hanging, this thing. Yeah. So I, yeah. All right. Continue, so, please. It's like, you know, how did you do that at that, at that time period? Yep. Um, how did you acquire property in that way? Um, because it was not uncommon for um, my grandmother's generation not to know how to read and write, yep. the, especially the men. Like my grandmothers, both of my grandmothers could read and write very well, but neither of my grandfathers could read nor write, um, but very much. And they had to be entrepreneurs because the jobs were not available to give to them. 
So same with mine. Same with mine. Yeah. Absolutely. They, they had to create it. Entrepreneurship was not a choice. It was a necessity. Yep. So, and I'm looking at this brother and we're asking those questions. And he, and he said something, he said, um, they could have run me out of town and not that where Seattle was very open to me either, but I had to survive. I had to thrive. I had to be able to take care of my family. And if no one would give it to me, I'd figure out a way to get it for myself. And he, you know, and he said something to me and I said today, God is not making any more dirt. Those who own some of it will always have leverage. Yeah. And we walked away from that conversation feeling empowered. Okay. Like if this brother could do this at that day and age and managed to keep it until 2000, at that time it was 2001. No, 2000, as a matter of fact, it was the year 2000 we were having this conversation with him. And you had been run out of town in like the 50s. Yeah. You know, whoa. Yeah. How did you do that? Yeah, that, and that's that's including like redlining and like just yeah, all of all the of all of that, right? So all of all the of discriminatory real estate practices that existed in the United States, this man was able to find a way to when get a, property. A bank wasn't going to finance you. How did you do that? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like how did you do that? And so we, like I said, it was the best unintentional decision we ever made. And he introduced us to real estate. But the thing that was most more important than that. He introduced us into the necessities of shifting the way that we think Yep. from that impoverished mindset to a mindset that there's nothing impossible. If I can think it, I can have it. It's a matter of proper planning. Um, and from there, that's exactly what we did in our conversation with him going to now going to Seattle was a delight and not a chore. Like that first trip, I didn't want to go. Mm -hmm. All the trips we made during that two-year period that we lived uh, on Fort Lewis yeah. was a delight. It was a joy to go and learn. And when we were able to um, PCS from Lewis to Texas um, in 2002, we went in pursuit of our first property. And we were able to acquire our first property. And it was a joy in the beginning. It terribly flopped. Um, I messed that deal up real good. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, you know, you know, it's, you know, it's interesting, right? So, so um, I, I was in real estate for a while, still am like, I'm not gonna say that I'm not right. But it's funny, I, I uh, in, in now knowing 900 plus real estate agents, right, or people that have done deals or facilitated deals. Getting your first one right is actually more problematic to your overall like progress than getting your first one wrong. Like people who get their first one right, they never have that same success. And they always <laughs> look for that same success to be like this um, th this thing that they can repeat, that they can replicate in some way. Mm -hmm. And and it's not, right? Like, but right. that learning curve of that first wrong deal, wrong flip, wrong something, wrong reno, Man, you yes. learned some stuff that you oh, never make the same mistake again. Definitely did. Definitely did. You know, because we're we're in this process of uh, learning and growing um, spiritually, naturally, uh, changing mindsets, trying to really track in entrepreneurship as real estate investors. And my but my husband was still on active duty. And so he had his assignment. Don't die in Baghdad. That was his assignment. Don't die in Baghdad. Because yeah. 
he was there for that initial evasion of Baghdad. My assignment was uh, go to that next level and learning the creative strategies on how to acquire real estate. And while I'm gone, purchase our first property. Mm-hmm. And so I was given that assignment in 2003 and I did that. I, I did the best I could. So I thought, got the deal. And this deal was going to be uh, owner occupied rent to own is what I did because it was going to be our first property. Then while we were looking for the second property, worked on this property, sell it, prepare for the next property. That was a plan, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't, I, I missed two steps, Dion. I missed two steps and I ended up becoming homeless because the owner came back and got the property. I didn't file the deed at the county courthouse. um, And I did not structure out all of the, um, the pay. Well, we structured out the payments. What I didn't do was get those documents notarized and then filed at the county courthouse as deed so that I was no longer a renter, but an owner. Yeah. Didn't do that. So all of the money that we put into the deal, it was rent and there was no legal recourse for us to come back and get that money. And that owner still owned that house. And so my gift to my husband, two weeks after he'd come back from um, his first deployment to Iraq, we were homeless yeah. and broke yeah. because there went the money for the deal. Because the, my other mistake was I didn't count the cost for the reserves. Yeah. In that excitement, did I, knew, did I know I needed them? Yes. But did I do it? No. Yeah. So... We, we had, I had a lot of learning and growing to do, and that was another big lesson to learn in terms of uh, becoming more financially savvy, not just how to get it, but how to keep it, Yep. you know, where to put it, the necessities of it. And so, um, and at this time we've got five kids. So that impact was massive on us. Very grateful that, you know, a solution presented itself and we didn't have to be homeless long, um, and we were able to move into another um, another place actually very quickly. Within a week, we were able to move into another place. But that thought, that feeling that I'm homeless, I don't have anywhere to live and no resources to get there. That was a whole different feeling. It did something to me on the inside. There, so, there's something, wait, because there's something interesting too, though, right? It, it's also that the, the difference oftentimes in, in, in true success and accomplishment versus the what ifs is really risk, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so some of it, you want to mitigate how risky something is, right? So you want to be like, I can make this, it's still going to be risky. I'm going to make this less risky mm-hmm. and I'm going to be averse to some of the consequences that may happen if I do this thing. But in essence... You know, you, you, you renters don't become owners without risk, right? Mm-hmm. Like first time home buyers don't become second home time bu- home buyers without some level of risk, right? So, so learning risk, even though it, it did end up in a, a life lesson, a financial lesson, a, a family lesson, a, an assignment lesson, um, it still allowed you to to internalize the fact that something had to be given in order for something to be earned, right? Because I think that's another big part of that too, right? Is that though though this this circumstance sort of didn't work out in the way that it would, you could have never done it. Right. And you would have been in the exact same space. Same space, yeah. From a probability standpoint, 
um, that you were in 2000. You would have been no different from 2000. I would have been no different. And, and my husband was very encouraging through the thing. It's like, there's certain, there are certain milestones in our marriage where I know like this man loved me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Good job. <laughs> like, good job. So this, this man loves me, right? Like, you know, I, I you come home from fighting a war. Yeah. And you come home to homeless and no money and you hugging me. You love me for real. Like, like God, I don't know what I did to deserve it, but we we thank God for you. You know, Absolutely. I found out I was pregnant as a teenager. You didn't leave me like there have been certain milestones to where I just know he loves me. Yeah. And this was one of them. Yeah. Um, and he and he showed up in an amazing way, even trying to take some responsibility for the situation. But um, and, and he told me his reasons for taking responsibility and I thank him for it. But at the end of the day, it was my assignment and I messed up that assignment. Um, but uh, praise God, we were able to move into somewhere different. But he then still encouraged me yeah. not to be discouraged in becoming prosperous in real estate investing, because not only does something like that could have impacted our marriage in a negative way, but it does kind of shake you on your foundation. Like, okay, is this what you want to do? Yep. You know, you, you get the voices of negativity, you know, that all that negative self-talk will come in and try to keep you from getting up, dusting it off and trying it again. And he and was it, all. Of- no, no, I was going to say, and, and, you know, to what you're saying, I think that there's something so important is, is that um, it, it sounds like it's also not this kind of, empowerment talk but it's, it also sounds like it's empowerment doing right because everyone can tell you it's going to be fine it's going to work out right but are you truly in it with me or are you just encouraging me from the background right because it's easy yeah. to be like Lakita is going to work out God is good you know <laughs> he provides right and you're like but what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Right? Like, I don't feel that in this moment, right? Like, like I don't feel none of that. Like, but, but saying like, you know, and this is a benchmark of when you realize that, 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 that he loves you speaks to something that is, that sounds more, um, more profound than just words and just being like, I'm here. Right. It just sounds oh, yeah. like there was a level of support and social contract oh, that yes. you guys were in where you kind of leaned into one another rather mm-hmm. than leaned out. out and, and and I'm so glad you brought that up. And it is like, you know, as a speaker and a coach, there's a lot of areas that we cover. And of course, you know, myself as a speaker and a coach, um, when I'm dealing with clients one-on-one and group coaching, but where we have, where I believe personally my coaching is most effective is when my husband and I are coaching together, uh, whether we're speaking to people that are single or people that are married, here's the thing. And everything that you do in life, one of the greatest successes that you will have is with your life partner, whoever you choose that to be. And your life partner, um, not only do they buy into your dream and vision, but they become a part of how you achieve that. And their support is everything or their lack of support also is very detrimental. So when we're talking about what love is and how to qualify, how to quantify it and all of that good stuff, love is an action. And that was his actions showed me, you love me to my core, my faults, my failures, the things you like, the things you don't like, the things that you learn new about me every day, right? You love me regardless. And as a demonstration of that, in my darkest moment, in one of my dark moments, 
you picked me up. You dusted me off. And you said, get up and try it again. Yep. And when I said no, you pushed me. <laughs> get up and try it again. You know, when I tried to dig my heels in and said, and had all of the valid reasons as to why I would not do that again, to put my family at risk, to put your hard-earned money at risk. Because at that time, I was a stay-at-home mom. So all of the funds that we were working with were the funds that he was earning. So I had a lot of negativity going on in my head at that time and, and so far as my failures. And he's like, nope, get up. This is how we're going to get it done. I am going to, my, my husband loves cars. So this is how we're going to recover. I'm going to flip cars. And he flipped cars for like, a couple. I flopped and burned, crashed and burned in 04. Mm-hmm. By 08, I bought my first multifamily property. I'd recovered. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of learning that went on, a lot of growth, learning the importance of networking and team building and key team members and growing as a real estate investor. And so this time out the gate, my flop was a single family home. My success was a quadplex. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're preaching to us right now. <laughs> just, like there was a moment where I wanted the organ. I, was, I literally looked to the side, but like the organist to hit me because that was a, that was a, she said, my loss was a single family. Y'all don't want to hear me. And my success <laughs> was a multi-family. I wanted him to be like, no, 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 no. There was a moment. Ooh, I felt that. All right, continue. You know, hey. It, it, I felt that. I just felt right. that. Listen, listen. And it, and, and it all came as a part of, this is, at, in that time, we had to determine what success meant to us individually, as a couple, you know, what we wanted for our marriage, what we wanted for our kids. And as we're working these things out, you know, my husband is deploying to Iraq over and over and over again and making these connections. And yeah, like I said, he was pushing me. And on his second deployment to Iraq, he was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. I have the potential to earn 10,000 extra dollars just by being at war. Mm -hmm. These are the vehicles that he had left for me to sell. And so this is the dollar amount. We're going to get this property while we're gone. And this is what we're going to learn about our taxes and some things that we needed to change so far as this W-4 was concerned and how we were even selling the cars, you know, whether to get the wholesale license or not to get the wholesale license in order to, you know, it ain't about make it, it's how you keep it. Yeah, yeah. So we're having this discussion as he's going into his second deployment um, and coming back out of that second deployment um, and the money that we would have saved because the goal there was 50K. Yeah. When we come back from this year, we got 50K. And this is what we're going to do. And that's what happened. And having him as a partner with me through this, because again, the real estate was mine. He make it, I earn it. You know, you your assignment is know where to put it so that it can continue to grow while we sleep, where to put it so that it can continue to multiply business-wise. Like that was my assignment. Mm -hmm. Even though I failed, my assignment didn't change with him. That's the value of partnership, right? And in that, when you have that kind of support, yes, I still had the negative self-talk, but it was easier for me to push past it. It was easier for me to recognize the areas that I needed to unlearn and let go. And, and the things that I needed to learn. It was easier for me to recognize that, okay, some of these bad habits that I have and, and fears that I have, I need to get professional help for it, right? Some of them I need coaching from, like 
having that support and with him walking uh, through this, through our life journey together, uh, again, the partners that we pick have a major role in the successes that you have. And so when we purchase that, um, we would purchase that quadplex. Oh man, I could pop your collar, my collar, everybody's <laughs> collar. Like, you know, <laughs> you, you know, here we did, we did this thing yeah. on one income. Yeah. Um, and we were able to come do it with some creative strategies and not, you know, not just that we went from the quad to, you know, flipping uh, more single family homes yeah. off of my husband's one income. We begin to build a business. Yeah. So that, um, and teaching other people how to do it. At that time, I didn't realize that's what we were doing. You know, what at that time, um, we were small group leaders at our church. So what we would do in our small groups is ask the questions that people had about, you know, how do you, how do you raise five kids? How did, you know, how did your marriage sustain? How did you do this? How did you do that? People have questions, right? And we would answer those questions in our small group and we saw our small group grow. To, to the point where our whole little neighborhood where we live would come to our small group yeah. and would ask these questions. And we didn't realize that's what we were doing. We were coaching, we were mentoring, we were training. And we would do that no matter where we moved to. Wherever the army moved us, we would do that. We would always have a small group, um, whether we had that small group on our own or that small group was a part of the church, whatever church we would be a part of at that time. So... I got to the place in 20, fast forwarding a lot into 2018, I was at a REI conference. I was a real estate investors conference in Orlando. The keynote speaker for a particular lunch and learn that I was at, his name is Marcus Ogden. And I just resonated with Marcus's message, retired NFL um, uh, player turned speaker and coach. Mm -hmm. Loved it, decided to partner with him and bring him on board as our coach, as and for real estate investing. And in some of our sessions over that first, I did a six months with him and then I decided to re-up and do six months more. Mm-hmm. And, but through that whole time, he kept saying, Laquita, you should really think about speaking and coaching. Like that should be what you do because you are doing it all the time. Just add that piece into what you're doing because I'm very passionate about helping our black and brown communities. Um, understand the value of real estate and that you don't have to be freakishly wealthy. And if you want to own your block to prevent gentrification, I, I'll keep my thoughts on gentrification to myself. I don't want to cause an uproar on your podcast. Um, if- well, mo- most people here are real estate agents, so they're going to fundamentally feel how they're going to feel anyway. So it doesn't really cause an uproar with people who have already made their minds up. So it's fine. So for me, gentrification doesn't benefit the people who live in the neighborhood. Can it benefit the neighborhood by changing the way the neighborhood looks? Absolutely. But it just, for me, it increases poverty because you're only going to drive people from one impoverished section to another impoverished section. And you just piling more people up into smaller spaces because now they can't afford what you've done. Yeah. You know, I, it's not that I think we should just leave the ghetto the ghetto, but we should leave the ghetto affordable. And so if you want those neighborhoods to remain affordable, you have to learn how to own it and value it. And so those are the th- types of things that we were teaching young real estate investors or young you know, young young people or older people who lived in those neighborhoods. Look, you want to own your neighborhood. So well, let me can, show you how you can do that. 
Can, can I tell to you, I want to sort of break away from this for one sec because okay. man, Instagram and social media has everyone wanting to be a real estate investor. Everyone, I swear. They make it look so sexy. They make it look so like <laughs> checks are just flying. How much did you make? How much? Very performative. Very yeah. performative. Real estate investment is, it's like folks are just selling the course mm -hmm. and they don't really have anything to sell in it. And so mm -hmm. friends ask me all the time, my cousin, she just asked me like, should she get into real estate investment? And I was like, how many contractors do you know? She was like, none. I was like, how many electricians do you know? And she was like, none. I was like, meet those people first. first yeah. Understand how to do transactional real estate, understand the basics of just how a, trans a real estate deal works and then meet some people mm -hmm. and trust them as humans and yep. then ask them to help you in your business. Because yep. that's the part that no one really says because it would make, it would make Instagram real estate investment classes and programs and click funnels. Um, it would make them much harder to want to join if people yeah. knew it's really about the relationships. Like you're going to yeah. uh, being able to have an appraiser correctly appraise a property, having mm -hmm. someone that can come in and talk to you about the electrical need, about the structural integrity of the building, like without those relationships and trusted relationships, mm -hmm. without a plumber that you know can come in and really give you what's going on and how much mm -hmm. more do you have to put into it. And, and you know, if this is a really yeah. great buy, if you don't have those relationships, you, your margins are going to be, your margins. They'll be non-existent. They'll like be non-existent. And you'll, you'll be in a space where you are over leveraged in terms of, in terms of money. And this thing yeah. becomes, um, the sad story, right? So yeah. the, 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 and here's what I want to get your opinion on. Right. So do you think it's interesting how a lot of these real estate investment programs never really tell you the number of people that, are in the median of all the people that they show you that made a hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars, three hundred thousand dollars. Do you think that that's? Do you think that that's intentional? That they show Absolutely you the people that made two hundred, three hundred, one hundred, but they never tell you out of how many people that took their program like, that did not. Because look, you you said it best at the beginning. Like these things make it look sexy. It make it look sexy. It makes it look easy. Like you do my six step framework. And you'll get your first hundred thousand dollar in six months. No, you won't. I mean, yeah. maybe yeah. everything's possible. <laughs> Highly improbable, exactly. but everything's possible. Like there's no like it's it, it's what you said. What made that second deal for us successful versus the first deal was in that time frame we had built those relationships and we had a power team. Yeah, yeah. I had real estate investors that I knew. We had realtors, brokers mm -hmm. at that point. We met contractors and uh, electricians and, and master plumbers, you know. You understood the difference between the handyman estimate and the contractor estimate. Mm -hmm. Because if he can't get a permit to do your work, it doesn't matter how great he is at doing the work. The city is not going to sign off on that wait can i just add to that listen <laughs> just in case you listen and you think about this um find a good lender find yep. a good financial planner yep. find a good a, a person who deeply understands 
tax formation that yep. can get you in the right sort of corporation. Yeah. Um, find yourself in line with a, a good title person, somebody yep. who is going to run effective Look, title. That title company will make or break your deal. Exactly. Like find a they good will title make person. Or break your deal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like we can, look, I got stories for days for all title companies. Like it was a pre, it was a creative deal. I was doing a subject to deal in Mississippi mm -hmm. and my sister-in-law was working for this title company. And, you know, so I'm trying to help her out. Like she could have been, asking me for months come on you know give my title company a chance like all right can you do this deal this is a subject to so they said okay look we, we haven't quite done one like that before can you fax us over something to show us what it looks like so our our attorneys could take a look at it cool no problem because i do a lot of them yeah fax them over one of my more recent deals they said yep i got it the day of the closing Oof. then that's when you want to reveal to me you you you're shaky on it. Don't reveal it to me today. You just killed my deal because I'm trying to close this to prevent the foreclosure. Yeah. There's a date on that thing. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I brought the wine to celebrate, not to drink. What are you doing? <laughs> like, that's not why I brought the wine. I brought the celebrate, not yes. to drink on my couch. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh my God, what is happening? So, um, Yes, having those right people in place matter. And if you, when you don't, what you don't know will kill you. Yep. So taking that time to develop it, join a RIA. If you don't want to pay the monthly fee to join a RIA, you don't want to be a real estate investor. Yeah. You know, and those were the things that we were putting out for free um, to people in our network and outside of our network, because at that point, I was doing a weekly live called Create Your Future Self with, a, with one of my really good friends. His name is Victor Johnson. He's an investor up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I'm an investor down here in Colleen, and we would collab on a couple of things, you know, sharing of information with hard money lenders. And we should do a show, if you haven't, on the lies of hard money lending as it relates to what you see on social media. Like, it, it's still lending. There's still some qualifiers that you've got to have. And the primary one, if you don't have the score, is do you have the money? Hey guys, so so you know when you see those those things pop up and they want to give you 10,000, 25, 30,000, and it's private, and you know, um, it's kind of typically um nondescript about you know what you need, what um how what the percentages are um in terms of of how that thing will cost you at the end um if you're receiving one of those and you're in a non-desperate space then you may need to reconsider and look at some alternate options because mm -hmm. um your first hard money and hard money meaning it's 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 you you are getting that money direct from that person right so you're mm -hmm. getting cash if you if you go with your first one it's probably going to cost you more than what the money is that you actually got. But we can talk about that at a separate point. And yeah. shout, shout out to Victor in the Dallas <laughs> area. If you guys want to know more about investment over in that area, shout outs to him. Um, so you guys were doing a pod, a weekly show, like a weekly. Yeah, we were doing a weekly live on Facebook. We were streaming live every Monday at 7 p.m. on Facebook. And we were just dropping tools, gems about the truth of real estate investing because um, uh, he's an African-American guy, a new mm -hmm. African-American family, and 
he is passionate about real estate investing and just sharing our stories, our pitfalls, our successes, and answering questions live, uh, you know, to people who are aspiring to be real estate investors. Let me give you the truth. Is real estate investing something you want to do? If it's what you want to do, then it's worth doing and worth doing correctly. And let me tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. It can be sexy when you get to that space, but it's not easy and it's not sexy in the beginning. It's hard work. Wait, wait. Okay. So ha, this is funny. The, so the last company that uh, I was the leader in um, was a, a real estate firm. And I used, to, I used to talk to them about sexy real estate because everyone wants to be on the billboard. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to have the open house with the champagne and the music and the vibe. And really in the beginning, it, it's more like you're an outbound sales agent, right? You don't really got that. You just got some business cards. You just calling people. You just, you just hungry for the deal. You're just trying to make it happen and you get to sexy, but, but so many folks want to come in with this kind of, you know, Ryan, the million dollar listing, it's going to be sexy. And, and, you know, we're going to take a helicopter to the listing and, and just, that's not, that is just not, not, that is just not the truth. And it's it's, again, culture, right? Culture and media starts to set up these expectations Mm -hmm. around what life looks like, but also about what career looks like. And, and it, it, it's, it can be that, Yes. And for a certain segment of people, it starts that way. Maybe your dad was a contractor. Maybe he, you know, owned some real estate already. Maybe you, you're just continuing a legacy. But yeah, for the no. average person just coming in, probably from another career, you know, probably, you know, not being uber successful at that career. Because a lot of folks mm-hmm. come into real estate investment and real estate sort of being semi-successful. But, but if they were truly on average, if they were truly at their highest peak, they would just devote more time to that. Thing, devote more right? time to it. Because the, the people who are buying into those, um, and I'm not disparaging all Instagram um, or social media where you see the courses for real estate investors. I'm not disparaging all of them because some of them are the truth, yes. um, but not all of them. We work in the but medians. Most people, the medians? Yeah, they they trash the the yeah. outliers are awesome, yeah. and they will yeah. teach you some stuff. But the they median some stuff get some real get some real um referrals before you start paying. Before you do that, right? Like <laughs> if someone you know, if you're going through that series of click funnels, yep. you you signed up for it and it was ninety nine dollars, and then your next up sale was two ninety nine, and then and then the you know your top tier offer was fifteen hundred. Run. And then now you got to go to a conference for $5,000 per seat in order to really get the yeah. lesson, like to really get it. Like you weren't, you were actually weren't going to get it on them first three steps nah. to really get it. Get it yeah. You got to pay $5,000 for the conference. So, you know, and because the, most of the people who that's clickbait for, unfortunately, most of those people are looking for the get rich quick. Yep. That's why the sexy is so appealing in the beginning. Yep. Then you have the group of people who are doing it just to prove it wrong. I ain't never understood that. I'm not going to waste my money to prove something wrong. Yeah. Like, why are we doing that? I'm going to just think the way I think and keep my money in my pocket, yeah. you know? Um, but those who are willing to put in the work, there are some people who do it that are willing to put in the work. Yep. Those are well, what becomes the success stories. Yep. But the failures, most people 
look at real estate investing as something that's get rich quick. If they want the sexy in the beginning. Now, those people, like you said, who, who come from a history of entrepreneurship, a history of, of their family working in the real estate space in some shape, form, or fashion, whether they were contractors, whether they were builders, plumbers, mechanics, somebody that was already in that space and have an understanding of how to properly evaluate properties or they know where the next hot deal is because they were just working on the neighborhood and they know what that owner because they didn't have conversation and they they ready to sell they desperate yeah you don't have that kind of inside track and you're the regular joe that's trying to bootstrap this thing it's going to be some work but it can get to the sexy it's just going to be some work and you have to be willing to put in the work and accept that failure is going to happen and just reframe what you feel and how you think about failure. And by the way, guys, sexy is not how much money you make. It's how much money you keep Keep. over a period of time, right? Sexy. So oftentimes we describe as the money we make. It's the money you keep over a certain time. It's, 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 it's like, it's lustful to make a lot of money. It's sexy to keep it. You know, because yeah. <laughs> when you see these checks and they're talking about they made 50K, 20K or all that, what you haven't seen is how much they had to pay the contractor who's been waiting, yep. Yep. you know, yep. how much they've had to pay the lender who's yep. been waiting, like depending on how they got that money. How much they're paying themselves versus how much is actually going into taxes and their business, right? Like, are you just paying yourself as if every deal just goes in your pocket or are you paying yourself a salary or Mm -hmm. or something and maybe a bonus, a salary and a bonus, and then everything else is going into your business so that you can reinvest into the next. Reinvest, right? Like, right. Like, are you... Right. Like, so are you purchasing these things as an individual? Are you purchasing them as a corporation? Are you doing it as an S Are you doing this as a C Corp? What are you doing and how are you doing? It? And you made a very good point, especially with that taxation. If I, if you're saying I did this as an individual and I really am clearing this, well, the tax man is coming. So did you get with your tax professional and are you ready to immediately make your next purchase so you can cushion yourself? from some of these taxes, because you can't defer forever. You go to jail for that. Yeah. Like, you know, like. Especially if if you're talking about this level of money, right? Like we're not, we're not just talking about like, oh, you earned 40K and a bit of it was taken out and you didn't file. This is, no money was taken out. Mm-hmm. this is how much a check was written to you. Where did mm-hmm. it go? Where did it go down. to your pocket? Did you pay it out in expense? Yeah. File those taxes to show how much you are actually responsible for. Because if you don't, then mm-hmm. the government just thinks you're responsible for all of it. It doesn't know the intricacies of your deal. It doesn't yeah. know. It just knows a $70,000 check was written to you. A $200,000 check was written to you. And yeah. now you're-, you're And now they're not. <laughs> exactly. Now they're not. They won't pay <laughs> You did five <laughs> of those. You owe us a million dollars until you prove otherwise exactly and the interest is steadily accruing monthly so (laughs) but they you know so those are the things that we were sharing weekly on create your future self live Mm -hmm. and marcus was steadily encouraging look this is what um you want to do you should do right yeah and i was hesitant in doing that because i still didn't realize that we were already doing it yeah. especially for me as it related to women, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe I got a little bias there because I am one, but it, I would definitely 
spend that extra time and even offline time mm -hmm. talking to women and mothers, whether they were single mothers or married, because the, the um, my target audience could be could be term, summed up as being the woman that is married to, I guess, what culture would call now the high value man. I don't subscribe to that. I just know that you know most people would know what I mean when I say it. Like I don't even know what that means, but so like I, I don't think I even want to understand what it means. I feel like don't. this is going, yeah, this is going to take me in a weird it's, place. It's so I don't even like, want to know what it means. I feel like that's another episode. Me, yeah. you, and Victor will talk about hard money loans, high value individuals, and how to flip money. We're gonna right, do a right. three person episode. Honestly. Oh, you would have now. Now that would be an amazing episode. Vic is awesome. His energy is off the chart, and I love that brother. Like he's he is superb but you know it, uh, high value would be you know, like the successful man like the man yeah. who was really tracking in his career or if he's an entrepreneur he's doing great things yep. so sometimes it's easy to lose your identity in as women in all of the roles that we have to play as wife as mother um and when you are married to a person that is tracking and and is as successful as you are societal uh, expectations can kind of weigh you down a little bit mm -hmm. where you unintentionally do one of two things. You either become, you either hold back and, and, and quench your fire so mm -hmm. that you can be all you need to be as a wife and a mom, mm -hmm. or you make a choice to say, okay, I need everybody to know that I'm just as important as you. So I kind of let my responsibilities as a wife and a mom kind of fall to the backside. Everybody's not able to always find a happy medium. There is a happy medium, but not every woman is able to do that. And so my target market uh, is there because that woman does exist. And it's hard to do that. Like, because whether we like it or not, um, I'm, I'm not a feminist, though I do believe in women empowerment. And I think that there's a very big difference in, in the two. Um, as a woman who believes in, in woman empowerment, we can have it all. I don't have to pick and neither should my husband. There is a place of compromise to where we can all have it all. We just have to, as you said at the beginning of the broadcast, we have to learn each other's love language and how to properly communicate. Emotional intelligence is paramount and the success with both myself and my husband being able to achieve everything we want to achieve and still be present and available as parents and still be present and available for each other um, and, and to be each other's cheerleader. So, so, like, wait, so can, can I ask a question? Because yeah. it's kind of dawning on me. If you had your fifth child at like 25, 25 or so years later, you're, you're living like, those kids is kind of shipping out, like they gone, bro. They gone. They're, they're so I'm saying, like, <laughs> so, so, like, so, so, what's business like when the weight of of transactional children needs? I imagine you're still, you know, you have grandchildren, so you're still building for them, and 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 all of the things that that um that that happen when you're um visionary, even if it's just for your family, right? If it's for your family, for your business, for your life, being visionary means that you're looking beyond just what's in front of you, right? So, yes. so, but what, how, how does it feel to kind of have that out the way? Oh, I mean, it, it's now you're just kind of doing stuff because 
really you love it not because you have to be responsible for another person to do it right it's a beautiful thing so I've often been asked like Laquita what would you tell your younger self I would go back and whisper in her ear continuously it's going to be okay don't make don't make quick decisions Mm -hmm. breathe through it Mm -hmm. think through it but I would still be pregnant as a teenager I would still have my children back to back to back as a young woman. Why? Because sitting on this side of life. Yeah. Oh man, it's a beautiful thing. You know, my, my friends who did everything in reverse, like they kind of followed the path that we had talked about is Uh, that that would be me. I'm I'm definitely one of those in reverse people. (laughs) So I'm going to be, I'm going to be like 80 with like a 20 year old kid. I swear (laughs) to God, it's going to be so frustrating. I already know it. I already know it. I see that future. Oh, and it'll be tired. I'm going to be tired. So we're like, when we're having couples night out, right? Like couples night out for me and my husband is any day we want to. Yeah. Any day we want to, we can, we can do that. But when we're planning it with some of our friends, we have to wait till they get sitters in place and all of that jazz. Like I'll give you, I'll give you a good example today during lunch. I got a request from um, a ministry in Kenya. They yeah. want us to come in April um, and teach uh, entrepreneurship and leadership from a Christian perspective. Yeah. Cool. Looked yeah. at the calendar. What's available in April? Oh, all right. I don't have to make any arrangements. Yeah. Yeah. I am free to say yes or no, really dependent upon what we want to do. And because my husband's retired from the military, yeah. we're yeah. full time entrepreneurs. And so we have that control over our schedule. We, we have those things in place. Are we still absolutely working because we love it? Yes. But to a degree, there still is a need because now we're planning for the generations, the things that we're doing now and the way we're setting up trust and structuring different things now are for our grandchildren and their children. Like so, we're planning out generations ahead. And that's fun. So wait, so let me ask you, did any of your children get into real estate in any kind of way? No, unfortunately. Like that is an interest. You guys yeah. can adopt me. Um, <laughs> by the way, I am self-sufficient. I don't need much. Um, I am high value. I'm going to describe yes. myself. I'm a high value man. Adopt me as an adult. I'm in a high value man. <laughs> we'll bring you on the team. And it's, exactly. you know, <laughs> that we were, I was having a conversation. I was on the clubhouse yeah. and there were some people talking about the clubhouse was about succession planning. Yeah. And most entrepreneurs that are, you know, family people, uh, um, they want their succession plan to be their kid takes over the business. Yeah. I don't care how much you involve the kid in the business. If it's not what the child wants, yeah, then that's not your succession plan. And sometimes we, we have to own the fact that our succession plan has to have a component to where we sell yeah, and our succession plan has to have a component to where, um, okay, if I don't sell and my child does not want to have anything to do with the running of the business, how am I structuring things that where my child is the owner, yeah. but the, uh, you know, there are people in place to run it and manage it so that one day, you ultimately, know, an owner, non-operating owner, non-operating owner. 
Yeah, they are not a owner, but they remain the owner and cannot get voted out of their own company. Like yeah. those are the things that that are really a part of a succession plan that we have to own that back. It took me and my husband a, a long time um, to learn to be okay that our children made choices to where they don't want to do that, and they would they will be um, not operating owners. Yeah. You Otherwise, know, I, you you end up with a uh, Bruce Wayne. A kid who really just wants to be Batman and has to be Bruce Wayne yeah. uh, and, and begrudgingly and does it. And, it. and they're angry about it. And the business yeah. falls apart because they yeah. don't have and share the same passion. All right. So, Lakita, here, here's what I want to do. I want to um, ask you three questions. Yeah. Four questions. Four questions. Okay. Can I ask okay. you four questions. Um, two of them are going to be uh, the same two that I ask of everyone who participates in a man versus brand episode. One is going to be how do people get in contact with you to get more information? And the last one, which actually is going to be the first one uh, in the framework of this conversation is going to be, um, I want you to talk about the toolbox. Um, describe if you would, what is the toolbox um, for folks who I'm going to ask you to give information about, um, you know, what you guys do, but I want, I want you to describe a bit about, um, about what you're doing in your coaching business and, and how you, how you are supporting people. So what is Lakita's toolbox? What's in the toolbox? How, how, what, what, what does one learn when they're accessing, um, the, the tools that you provide? Describe that for me a little bit. Laquita's Toolbox um, is my podcast as well as my membership community. Okay. Laquita's Toolbox Academy is the membership community. Laquita's Toolbox is the podcast. And the goal of the podcast is to provide the listener with tools that they can use for personal growth and development as well as uh, growth and development as an entrepreneur. And we, I bring in subject matter experts um, that share their story, but most importantly, they lead implementable tools. I don't believe in massive action. I believe in inspired small things that we can do daily that create great habits that lead to success. And that, that's what you'll find um, in Laquita's Toolbox. And in Laquita's Toolbox Academy, uh, those members of Laquita's Toolbox Academy, you get the benefit of the podcast and then some. And, and what do I mean by that? I have a uh, weekly live video trainings that I do within Laquita's Toolbox podcast. Um, they have the Laquita's Toolbox um, Academy, excuse me, the members of the Laquita's Toolbox Academy, they have that weekly time with me and it's live. So the training is there, their video course trainings that are there as well. And those individuals also, depending on the level that they're in, they get substantial discounts on my one-on-one -on -one trainings and my group training as well. Okay. Nice. So guys, if you're interested, if this conversation has resonated with you, if you feel like she might be the person that gets you to your next level in whatever that capacity is, I've heard spiritual level coaching, uh, leadership coaching. I've heard some financial awareness coaching, some business coaching, some real estate investment coaching. When I tell you I love a multi-hyphenated person, <laughs> I love a multi-hyphenated person, right? Um, all right. So I'm going to ask you the two questions. All right. First question is what on any streaming platform 
have you recently watched that you thoroughly enjoyed? What's some programming, a movie, a TV show, YouTube's included, podcasts are included. What have you recently um, consumed? What have you recently engaged with that you really like? So let me ask before I answer that, is this yes. strictly learning or is it pleasure? No, it's, it's, it's anything. It's absolutely anything. We've had everything from like, I don't know, like women's rugby to survivorless shows to like podcasts on how to build tiny houses. Like it's, <laughs> we have run the gamut of so, to, to like just Twilight. Like I like my, like, Twilight is the thing that I've recently watched that I, like I thoroughly enjoy. So it, it's whatever, it's however you interpret the question. So I'm a Marvel fan. Okay. And I love Emergency Awesome. Okay. And I know it's another podcast, but I love Emergency Awesome because their theories on what's going to happen next and Marvel Phase 5 keep okay. me thoroughly entertained. Okay. Go back and look. And so I've been prepping myself because I haven't seen Thor Love and Thunder yet, but me and my husband have a date on Sunday, and I'm going to see Thor Love and Thunder. So the um, Emergency Awesome's newest release on yesterday yeah. had me all kind of amped up. Okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> um, I, I saw Thor Love and Thunder Thursday, this past Thursday. Um, and I went, I went with, I went with friends who, who, who are, who went because they knew that I would like to see it and they just kind of wanted to hang out. And um, they uh, they didn't laugh at any of the parts that if you really truly loved Thor, you would laugh at. And 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 I came out and my first statement to them was, um, it's the de depiction of and I use this voice, the depiction of Jane Foster as uh, Mighty Thor was not the same as in the comics. And they all were like, oh my God. I was like, I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidding, guys. I figured I would do that to you because I knew that's what you were expecting. You're expecting some level of like this ultra geeky critical thing. I was like, I just loved it. It was awesome. It's a great, it's a great, it's a great, yeah. movie. great movie. I'm telling you, I am so geeked up about it. I've um, been enjoying the Miss Marvel episodes as well. Yep. Um, I've enjoyed Star Wars and the Obi-Wan uh, Kenobi, but I don't like the way they ended it. Like, don't leave me on that type of cliffhanger. Are you kidding me? All right. But spoilers. If you haven't seen it, there is a cliffhanger and you will be mad. <laughs> you will be mad. Um, all right. So the second question is, what on any streaming platform uh, have you, do you enjoy that someone who knows you may not necessarily think that you would enjoy first and maybe marvel is is in that category but what's something that you're like oh my god i love that and people just around you wouldn't wouldn't expect you to like it that you just and it doesn't have to be a guilty pleasure just something that you enjoy that people may not associate with you in terms of what your watching habits are um i wouldn't be watching it wouldn't be watching. okay okay it's people around me i i'm a very verbal marvel maniac like okay okay People who don't know me find it odd. Like, look, when you you don't even sound like you would like that. <laughs> okay. I'm about it. Like, okay, okay. Um. Well, if okay, so, and I'm gonna call the anime by the wrong name because I dubbed it something different. If I would say watching streaming on Funimation, okay, I love, and I I don't want to yell and ask my son, but it's this. Go go. Try try me. About this girl in the box, and her brother is carrying her around. In oh, you're talking about Demon Slayer. 
Yes, that's Demon it. Demon I Slayer. love Demon Slayer. My son introduced <laughs> me to it. Yeah. And I've always called it the girl in the box because, well, she's in that box. <laughs> she is in the box. She's a vampire, though, so she deserves yeah. to be in a box. Yeah, she does. Maybe. And it, I have a love relationship for her, though. In the beginning, I didn't think that I would, but I'm all about protecting her at this yeah. point. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Protect our queens. Even, yes. if they, even if they drain you of blood, protect our queens. Protect them, right? Like, because she is just... So I'm waiting for the have enough time so I can binge it. Like, I watched yeah. the, the movie. I yeah. can't remember what it's called, but about the train. I watched that one. And so I know all of the new Demon Slayer is out, but I don't want to watch it one at a time. I want to yeah. binge it. And I just have to have the time to do it. So streaming, Funimation, I now like anime. My son is teaching me to like anime. So... Um, so, so first I want to start by saying that, um, uh, if, 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 if Demon Slayer just sounds like something that someone would, may not watch, there is something that is beautiful about the art style. There is something that is gorgeous about the art style. Like their, um, water just looks great. Mm -hmm. Fire just looks great. There's something beautiful it's and awesome. artistic about it. Um, mm -hmm. and so the name it is the, about the name being... demon slayer gives it so i'm a christian and at sometimes i can be too much yeah i can i just i can i can admit that sometimes i can be too much yeah. so when he first said it i was like i'm not watching that yeah and so he's like mom just give it a chance just yeah. give it a chance you'll like it and now i can't wait for the 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 main uh, protagonist to find out about the history of his family yeah. and um the art style his style of fighting yeah. as it relates to fire like somehow i think that the brother and i'm telling the story y'all of the guy that died in the end i think that somehow they're going to be married together because their styles are so similar yeah no there's there's there is um, I actually kn know a lot about that particular um, anime, and so I'm, I won't reveal it, but um, there is focus on the earrings. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. That's focus all I'm gonna on say. the earrings. There's I, something I, in the earrings. There's something okay. in the earrings. Um, <laughs> all right, cool. So um, give us some information. If we, if we want to learn more about you, if we want to get into your coaching program, we know that there is a toolbox. We know that there's a toolbox Academy. What, what website are we going to, um, you know, what Facebook group is there? Like how, how is someone engaging with you so that they can, um, start to, um, to subscribe to the things that you're doing out there in the world. So go to my website, www.liquidamondly.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm most active on LinkedIn, which is value. I do have a YouTube channel um, and I put out new videos weekly on YouTube and it's easy to find. Just go on YouTube and either put in my name or put in Laquita's Toolbox. Okay. Either way, it'll take you back to um, my channel if you want to subscribe to my channel. LinkedIn will also give you uh, all of the relevant information and I message back quickly. There is a Facebook group as well. So I keep things really simple. It's my name. All if right. you want to find out about Laquita and how to get in contact with Laquita, go to our friendly neighborhood Google, type in Laquita Mondling, and all things Laquita Mondling come up. And I, um, I will message you back. If you fill out the contact us form on my website, 
it generally takes me um, two to three business days to get back to those. But um, my DMs, I answer those really quickly. Guys, this is Laquita Monley. Man, multi-hyphenated story teller, life liver, life Life liver. Life liver works. All right. We'll accept that. We'll accept that. Um, um, just just all around awesome person, right? And so if you want to find out more about um, all of the things and all of the value that she provides and how you can contribute to the value that she provides, please go to laquitamonley.com or follow her on all of the, the, the platforms that she has named. This has been an awesome fun-filled episode of Man vs. Brand. I hope you guys got an opportunity to learn more about what your present and or future can look like by um, investing in yourself and investing in your financial wellness. The other thing that I think that I hope you guys got from it is, you know, you might need to restructure the way that you look at your past, right? Are you allowing that thing to be a weight that you have to carry around or are you allowing it to be a lesson learned? Are you reevaluating the way that you have looked at your past and allowing that to inform positive decision making in your life? Are you taking risks or did you take a risk early and now you're so averse to it that you're living your most unfulfilled life instead of your brightest and largest. This is Dion Brown. That was Laquita Monley. This is Man vs. Brand. I hope you guys have a great night and a great week. Love you. Talk to you soon. Bye. If this talk just resonated with you or could help someone you know, follow Dion or his guest on all social media platforms. Till next time. And remember, with any business or brand, give it to your heart, make it real, or else forget about it. See you all soon.